In a world of downloadable and streaming singles, our hope with this podcast is to look a little deeper at what influences musicians and see the impact an album, as opposed to a single, can have on an artist's work. We're your hosts, Dave and Tom, and this is The Sound Effect. Today, we welcome our second American guest to talk about an American band who everyone knows and loves. Oh, yes. Actually, that's not true at all. It's an American <laughs> band that I no one ever heard of. I'd never heard of, and I was excited to be introduced to, uh, to the band by our guest today. Uh, we are talking about Seattle's band, The Heats. Uh, formed in Seattle in the late 1970s, uh, played until the early mid 1980s. The band consisted of sort of a four piece, you know, rock pop outfit with sort of like early new wave influences in there as well. Formed in 1978, quickly became a predominant part of the music scene in Seattle, uh, where they kind of got some heat for being, no pun intended, for being not a punk band per se, but more of a pop band and kind of uh, wearing wearing that pop sensibility on their sleeves a little bit. Uh, but they were also equally praised for their infectious melodies and tight musicianship. And as you're going to hear from our interview today, we're kind of iconic and... Um, you know, flag bearers in Seattle in many ways as sort of early, uh, you know, sort of a sign of that late 70s power pop. I I, I don't want to call it new wave. No, no, it's I wouldn't even. Wave. I was no. kind of surprised you said that because I <clears throat> don't get that. To me, it sounds like nothing shocked me more when I looked at the date of this album's release, mm. 1980. Yeah. Yeah, this yeah. album could have been made in the last ten years, and, and it certainly could have been made in the nineties ba- by a band in, uh, from the Maritimes. Yeah, right. Yeah, this right. is this is up your alley, like this is wide open right down your alley. This is this is oh, your yeah. four on the floor, jangly guitars, high pitched yeah. kind of vocals. Oh yeah, and if you told me this was released in nineteen eighty. Uh, recorded by was it recorded by the producer of Heart uh, management management like yeah, yeah, yeah. toured with Heart I'd say you're a goddamn liar you're a liar well it's funny you're right like if you're a fan of uh, Thresh Hermit The Flashing Lights uh, yeah. The Hoseys Teenage oh. Fan Club uh, Sloan any band like that uh, I would dare say you're probably going to love the record that we're going to be talking about today yeah and like, l- this, like yeah like i say this shocked me this album if you're going to say something is ahead of its time this album is ahead of its time by like 
at least 15 years. But yet there were contemporaries who did kind of have this sound down. You know, mm. I'm a big I'm a big fan of Big Star. Again, uh, ahead and, of their time. 100% ahead of their time. This really shouted out to me. Big, like, I'm willing to bet if we had the heats on this show, they would have been saying, well, Big Star is our, our go-to. That's right. Uh, there was a lot of the Big Star uh, kind of there. Um, sensed a lot of like Elvis Costello, Joe mm. Jackson. Uh, so there was lots of, I mean, that, that, <clears throat> that sound was there. So yes, it was ahead of its time, but it was in these, the pockets were so small that they came in, right? Like I think of like the romantics. I mean, sure. I think we talk about in the interview how there's elements of this that kind of, kind of harken to the romantics. Yeah. The, uh, you know, but good point. Um, but uh, bands who would later become new wave. Right. Mm -hmm. But for these guys, I, I think you're right. Listening to it as well. I was kind of blown away myself that it was from the night from 1980. Yes. Yeah. It is really quite shocking. Yep. I just think, uh, it just makes you want to go, what was going through everyone's head at this? Like punk had kind of like the original punk mm -hmm. had kind of run its course, but you still had the clash, obviously. Ramones and also still by that point, by that point, it probably took a while to get to Seattle too. So they might have been a little bit behind. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> or get know. out of Seattle. Yeah, uh, had to hitch a ride with on Hart's tour bus. But uh, you know, New Wave was just around the corner, and that melding of the the kind of the the like what Blondie and Talking Heads kind of pulled in was that more artsy, a little more of the di uh, some of the disco sounds, the reggae sounds. Yeah. The, the which rap, is which is certainly not here. No, the this rap, is just you know. a pure pop power pop album. So I wonder, is this people were people thinking, ah, oh, this sounds meh? Like, no, we're looking for something new, man. And or did they get labeled like, ah, oh, they're just a punk band? You know, like they just didn't seem to fit. And uh, you know, yeah. that's the story of Big Star too, right? Like they just mm -hmm. didn't fit yep. anything. Yeah. And. Yeah, like what a like this whole thing is just interesting to me. Uh, that it, and you're listening to the songs, you're like 1980. I'm not amused when you come around by things you've done or things you've found. Don't wanna hear what you might say. Won't someone please take me away? And here's to you. I don't like your face.
mentioned that idea of fitting in, Dave, which I think's a. And we kind of got into this a little bit with the interview with Lars, but this idea that in America, punk, and if you watch the new documentary that's out right now on, mm. uh, is it Prime? Yes. I guess Prime. Uh, Blue uh, Crave. Prime Crave. Uh, on, uh, <laughs> why are we shouting? Why are we giving props to like Crave and Prime? Well, because there's a great four-piece series on punk that I really liked in that. But if you look at that, it really talks about how tight the punk community was, how yeah. it was all very, it had to fit into this kind of box i believe that's and, also called clicky yeah a bit, a bit clicky and the thing about british punk was you had them embracing the likes of the jam you had them embracing the likes of elvis costello you had them embracing the likes of joe jackson of all people like when you hear that you're like really right or or how they really embrace ska culture Right. Oh, yeah. Whereas I think Dub, ska, yeah, yeah, and that to me is an interesting connection because here it sounds like the Heats were vilified by the punk community in Seattle. Uh, whereas again, you look at something like Joe Jackson in in London, who was embraced by the punk uh, the punk society. Right. I think it's uh, it, it's interesting that um, that musical subcultures that want to include can oftentimes exclude <laughs> yeah you know what i mean no right? doubt and yeah punk, uh, yeah, yeah that you mentioned that documentary that they highlighted that perfectly that things were if you didn't fit in like how high school right yeah but new york seemed to have that ability to do that like you said blondie talking heads accepted in the same group as you know the dead boys you know like in that same that that same collective right so there just, was a bit of that right yeah and that just goes to show like new york's always been a hotbed of everything's everything comes out of there it seems at times mm -hmm. and when you speaking for new york but if when you get you know the troubles they had at that time like that city was bankrupt so everybody the art scenes go to the cheap affordable housing and you know, that's where all the musicians live. That's where all the artists live. That's where all the, you know, the writers live. And that you get this group of people all together. Like it's just exploding with art. And I'd say London's probably the same thing. Like they were, the the whole punk scene was backlash to the caste system, right? And, yeah. And, but again, you get this group of people together and it just didn't matter what you were doing. Writer, I think they just wanted something new and fresh. They'd put up with 10 years of Prague, <laughs> you know? Well, so. and I think by the time, by the time 1980 rolls around, that new and fresh was now a little dull, right? And now oh, what yeah. you have are these musicians going back and creating a sound that isn't unlike, you know, the Beatles or, yep. uh, or even a bit of like the birds, uh, but yet mm, uh, yeah. are able to connect with young young listeners right and create that divide to the point now that by the sounds of it and as you're going to hear with our interview today with uh with lars from autogram um they are um almost uh beatified uh you know as you know saints among the seattle music scene for uh for doing this and uh and, and being you know identified as as people who inspired uh you know future sounds in seattle yeah, they just kept doing what they did, right? And for a yep. short period of time, 
they made a difference. They made a they made a dent in their local scene, and just it seemed the rest of the country, the rest of the continent, rest of the world wasn't ready for it. Mm-hmm. Was were they considered passe, or were they just ahead of their time? Yeah, you know? and it's, it, and, it's that's, just, and it, that's always a sad story in rock and roll. Oh, so often, well, this yeah. big yeah. bringing up big star, right? Like that's no, no. just that's just it right there. And uh, no documentary on these guys yet, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but but it's it's just that story, same old story. Um, and even looking at like pictures of them, looking at the album cover, it's just like, good lord, are you sure this wasn't released in like mid to late nineties? Oh yeah, the clothes. Exactly, like, right. One of them's wearing flip flops for God's sake. <laughs> so, <laughs> but their look is that kind of timeless slacker. Hey, we're just here to have fun. Uh, look, which I think is yeah, it's just kind of cool. There's not a lot of look. Oh yeah, to it. and yeah. Uh, but you're right. I mean, this could have been released on Murder Records by you know by, <laughs> by Sloan in 1994. Yeah, yeah. or Sub Pop, right? Yeah. Well, and one's got to think, uh, knowing the Sub Pop's a Seattle label and embrace the that those pop pop punk sounds you got to think that probably someone at uh at sub pop was uh, was influenced in some way shape or form well you can you're listening to this you're listening to this like so many bands could have been listening to this but this band was so small and really didn't break out much that i want but i'm dying dying to talk to john hour uh i i mean i i'm sure absolutely positive that the posies must must have listened to them because i mean it seems too coincidental that two guys in the posies who are you know who later go on to join big star right are making music you know within about you know eight to ten years of this album coming out you know five to seven years after the second album comes out and that they weren't you know somehow influenced by them because if you listen to the posies the posies are you know as far as i'm concerned the quintessential power pop group and they were the ones who wore their love of big sleeve probably big you know, maybe them fan club and matthew sweet probably wore the big star badge more than anyone uh so i mean i i'm gosh i'd be i'd be willing to bet my life that they were big fans of well the even when we had uh, Tin Constellation, Brent from Tin Constellations on. Now I'm thinking, Flashing Lights? They How did they find this album? Because this is them. <laughs> this, like that yep. opening, have an idea, the opening song, I just want to go, tonight, tonight. And it, oh, no, wrong song. But it's <laughs> it's just that same live feel. The, uh, you know, just the, it's just rock and roll. It's good rock and roll. It's just like they're blending the stones with a little more, you know, forgive me. I just don't hear any of that, even that punk attitude in there. If they weren't, yeah. if this wasn't like, this like is pure the, pop attitude, it's a pure pop attitude yeah. and yeah. almost indie, right? Like, there's just yeah. that feel to it. To the point, like getting back to the production, it's it's again just a weird sounding record for that time because the technology is getting better. More people, are, you're adding more tracks in, and eighty is here, so there's that disco sound uh you know that affected the drums no very little low end that's that's true and i found the i found the drums again were just out of time like this just sounded like it could have been made in a garage in the mid 90s Mm -hmm. 
but this is in a professional studio and just I, I just found the the drums not sounded weird for lack of a better term it's just like that wasn't the sound of drums in the late 70s early 80s they were yeah they were verging almost on electronic sounding because they just wanted that either, either that or that of course that big ass room snare yeah. that uh Hugh Padgett brought to like Phil Collins and and Bonnie uh, Tyler and, and yeah and the police and uh in later years right so it's just this is just again it, it sounds like there's they play it sounds like they played live off the floor two or three takes a couple microphones on the drums here you go there's our yeah. album done yep and Fucking you master. you you listen you listen to like you know obviously hearts management took them under their wing and stuff and did no one go like huh these these out al- this heart album and this album do not sound like the same what what is everybody hearing here and again i, I just ha- was- i'm just coming out of this with more questions than answers yeah. we need to talk to someone else is the synth-driven power pop quartet from Chicago, Seattle, and Vancouver. 
Uh, we're going to be talking to the Seattle contingent of that uh, that group today. And they draw influences from the likes of the Cars, the Go-Go's, Gary Newman, 2020, and Debo. So no wonder they like this record. Uh, their third full-length LP music that humans can play will have just dropped in the last couple of weeks, November 17th on Stomp Records, and is going to be available in vinyl and digital formats worldwide. The band dedicated themselves to bringing in sounds and influences like The Fix, David Bowie, Cheap Trick, and have crafted just a pile of new wave gems uh, with like a power pop twist to them. Let's go to Lars. Lars, congratulations on um, the new album from Autogram. You guys must be pretty excited. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks so much. And the like, give us for those of for those out there listening who don't know Autogram, what is it? What like what what is Autogram? What's what's your sound? What what are you trying to do with the music? Uh, I'd say it's like um, punk new wave music um, with synthesizers, and uh, yeah, kind of like a Devo Gary Newman Go Go's kind of thing. The and Cars maybe. And you've got like, um, <laughs> I'm always just amazed. This is just sort of a testament to the last like 10 years and the beauty of technology now. Like, I look at where you guys are based, and it is Seattle, Vancouver, and Chicago. <laughs> yeah, Ex- that's right. Explain this. Explain how, how does this happen? Uh, well, you know, the band is, is um, mainly based in Vancouver. Um, I'm, I live in Seattle and I'm from here, but I've played in another band that toured with autogram quite a bit and i've been friends with cc for a really long time and some other guys in the band so we became friends that way and then um i think i want to say during covid the drummer josh moved to chicago his brother lives there um and so like i think the remote kind of band situation was already happening because of covid so like it wasn't that it was our yeah it wasn't that big of a stretch to just keep doing it and has it been is it difficult or is it you know is it just you know what it's part it's 2023 it's actually easy to do this now yeah i mean it's just different you know um not having the like camaraderie and uh you know like fun hang session kind of is like different um and you know just like yeah, it's just it's just different. You know, I've definitely done it with other musicians, so it wasn't totally new, but definitely sign of the times, I guess. When you get together to finally rehearse for a tour, do you find the songs like, ooh, I wish we could have jammed this out a few more times because now we're hearing stuff that maybe we could have changed or comes across a little more powerful or different? Yeah, I mean, that probably happens no matter what. Right. You know, if you were like practice something to record it which is kind of what we did with the last record or whatever like um the live version might be different you know so like a different feel to it yeah with the um you had mentioned there gary newman the go-go's and um i mean you're listening you're listing bands that are iconically 1980s what is it about the 1980s that you guys wanted to to harken back and connect to uh, with with your music, and you know what what made you go? Yeah, it really has to have an '80s tinge to it. Oh, I mean, you know, I think a lot of that's just down to like influences that we all share. 
because of our age and um yeah just stuff we like growing up and then before i was in the band i think they made a really pretty conscious decision to kind of go for this particular sound um and a lot of that probably comes from having the synth synth in the band but i think there's like a lot of 70s punk rock in there too um Mm -hmm. and like we did an interview the other night where like Jeff kind of reminded us that like, we all kind of came from like a pretty DIY punk background when we were teenagers growing up. Um, but you know, like that kind of waiver stuff was always in there as far as liking it and being a fan of that kind of pop music. And just, there's plenty of bands doing seventies style street punk and stuff. Um, but we didn't see a lot of bands kind of doing that carsy kind of new wavy sound. And it has like it has a lot of earthiness now that you know thirty forty years later you're going back and you're like wow that still kind of sounds fresh like the cars stuff especially mm-hmm. you know uh, some of the blondie stuff same thing it still sounds great and there's just something about the synths they were using back then you know and as the technology got better and better everything sounded hollow and now you're finding bands going back and discovering that old technology or using that technology. Is that just something again you gravitate to that the uh, the sound of that uh, instrument and you know like where do you where does that fit in in the, in the music? Oh yeah, I mean, like Jeff is doing all of that, so he could probably speak to that better than me. Right. But um, you know, definitely, and Josh as well. I mean, he does a lot of that too, especially on the recordings. Um, and he's kind of a wizard of like vintage synth sounds. And really likes to nerd out on that stuff. So like (laughs) is able to find with whatever, like there's lots of different keyboards around and like, oh, like, you know, maybe this kind of Brian Eno type sound or like this Carzy type synthesizer sound. And like, it's not terribly difficult to recreate that under their equipment. But it it definitely be kind of like, I think I can speak for them in saying that we kind of fetishize those particular like, vintage sounding analog synth sounds and you dive in on them i mean i mean listening to the last record there is you know uh it it made me think of a band in ottawa that existed years ago called called dandy where um people at the time late 1990s were watching them and it was like uh we're like you have that keyboard sound where it was like kind of there in the background just kind of um you know laying a pillow or a foundation and then they just went nah nah we're just gonna slam the keyboards down your throats like it's the 1980s again and and i'm listening to your record thinking it's unapologetic the way you guys are throwing the keyboards in the listener's face which i think is fantastic uh when we think of you were uh, you're coming from punk rock where at, at times punk rock has been let's just say maybe less than accommodating about keyboards and things Things like that as well, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, for sure. I think it was probably controversial at one time. I don't know about now. <laughs> I don't know how, how like the hardcore punks feel about synthesizer now. <laughs>
We want to talk here about one specific record and a record I'd never heard of, a band I'd never heard of, but I've spent the last like two weeks since you told us about it, reading everything online I can about these guys. Uh, from your town of Seattle. That's right, yeah. And, and right now everyone at home is going, oh, wow, what Seattle band are we going to be listening to today, <laughs> Tom? And it's, of course, everyone's favorite Seattle band, The Heat's. Lars, who the hell are the Heats, man? Um, well, the reason I chose the record is because, like, we we're all kind of really into power pop music like that from the late 70s, where it's, like, maybe kind of punk a little bit, but more maybe hearkening back to kind of 60s beat groups. But kind of it's getting filtered through this late 70s, early 80s, like, pub rock kind of thing. And um, they were huge in Seattle at the time, like, there was a writer from the Seattle Times, and this is before my time, but um, definitely grew up like people talking about them, um, having been really popular locally. And yeah, I remember like Jeff and I, and really like, and CC as well, and Josh too, I'm sure, like we all really kind of like loved sharing these obscure power pop bands. And I was working in a record store at the time, and Jeff didn't have the record. And we were like, what? You don't know that one? Like, I've kind of figured copies of it would have made it up to Vancouver. Um, I think that their management team may have even, they, they ended up with the same management team as Hart. Mm -hmm. And, um, so like, and I think recorded in their studio. So that's kind of why the record sounds particularly good for the era of like, you know, um, power pop bands that weren't on major labels. Like usually the production isn't that good. Um, and yeah, Jeff wanted a copy of it. So like, you see it pretty frequently in Seattle. So I, I snagged a copy of it at the record store I was working at and gave it to him. And so that's, I kind of chose it for like us kind of having a similar power pop vein as that band. And then them being local to my town and then having shared the record with Jeff. Um, but yeah, like, uh, you know, from what I, from, I've read a bunch of stuff online too. And then just from knowing people in Seattle growing up who are older than me, like, um, they were maybe kind of like you were saying, like rejected by the more underground punk scene for playing like the more popular bars that like, uh, you know, paid better probably. Um, and having kind of like this professional studio recording and professional management, but there was like a, yeah, a writer for the Seattle times. who really took a liking to them and put them all over the paper. And that, that really blew up their live local popularity. They recently did a reunion here in Seattle. At, well, that'd be amazing to see. <laughs> that would have been awesome. But it's yeah. it's it's cool. I feel like since Big Star, everybody has a story about some power pop band or band local band that just influenced them, but never took off. Yeah, there's and, lots of them. Yeah, like for the era, like I would say, like like there's I know record collectors who like specifically only collect like power pop forty fives or like, and there's just so much. I'm still finding out about ones I haven't heard about that are great. That like similar to maybe the kind of like garage rock explosion of the 60s in response to British invasion like there just seems to be endless like late 70s power pop bands it's it's an interesting genre too in the fact like when you I mean it's not sadly going to be the first time we mentioned Big Star in this interview the minute I heard it I wrote to Dave saying oh I'm going to love this record already it sounds like Big Star and then <laughs> I spent the first minute the first song literally texting friends of mine who are big star fans saying 
you got to hear this record right now. And because there is this very much jangly pop guitar, um, you know, uh, earnest, like earnest lyrics about kind yeah, of totally. like love and affection. Uh, but again, like in the face of that punk explosion at the time, right? It's It's almost like an antithesis to punk. Yeah, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, it's a good description. Like, um, I know actually, and you guys will find this funny. I think uh, they toured with Loverboy. I know that, like, before <laughs> Loverboy became famous, um, and then of course watched them go on to massive fame. And like, I think like that era, like there are bands that got famous doing that sound, and it was like a very short-lived trend as far as the mainstream was concerned. Where like, you know, in England, like you had the Jam or like. There's countless others, you know, but as far as ones that kind of got commercially popular and crossed over um, or like in the U.S., you know, I I can think of like Tom Petty or like the Knack. Yeah. Um, The Romantics. Yeah, yeah, that's a great example, too. Yeah. Yeah. But then like and those bands kind of having one hit wonder Mm -hmm. type status. And then like that trend just like passed really quickly or whatever. Um, And so, like, I think that's kind of what happened to the heats where like by the time their record came out, like the mainstream music industry was like, Oh, like the knack already did it. You know, like yeah. we don't need, we don't need another one or whatever. Yeah. That's what I was wondering when I saw the date, I'm like 1980. So like, were these guys late to the party or, or too early or too early to the party? Like I'm like what you said, uh, I'm like, I'm, but I'm hearing Elvis Costello in here. And, yeah, totally. and you know, like you said, Tom Petty, the knack, like, like, where do you think they fit in? And like, and is that the reason it's just, they just couldn't get that groundswell out of Seattle. Yeah. I think that's it too. It's just like, um, you know, it's, it's, they got pretty far for the way Seattle probably was at the time. I mean, like the biggest other band from here at that time that was still around or whatever would have been heart. And they managed to attract their attention and management and, mm-hmm. um, you know, did some tours and like with, good bands and did all did everything right i think from what i've read it's like 79 was kind of the year of power pop and like uh oh joe jackson and stuff like that yeah and bands that maybe like got thrown in that box even though their influences might have been kind of like broader or overlapped with other things like blondie didn't have that problem you know or like elvis costello didn't have that problem but um yeah i don't know they, they put out a couple like a single or two after that record and there's a live record. Like, yeah. they kept going, I think, until like into the mid 80s. So, like, had a decent run of it. Just like, for as good sounding as the record is, it's kind of feels like it should have been like more known and popular than it is. Like, really, it's only in Seattle that people really know about them. I heard the listen to the live uh, burning album on YouTube. It's on there. I was impressed how good it, again, how good it sounded. Cause. You know they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't have unless they used Hearts Traveling Recording yeah. Studio or something. But it mm. sounded they sounded fantastic and tight, just like you'd expect a working band to sound after a few years, right? Yeah, totally. That record's great. Like I'm not a huge fan of live records, but yeah. you can tell that their live show was like they would have been really tight and energetic and fun. And yeah, when you're and now you're in Seattle and and. I mean, other than that little like blip in the radar in the 1990s of everyone wanting to be from Seattle, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that, Lars, but it was a pretty big scene <laughs> in the 90s. No, but um, like I know, I know that like 
the the story around like the Kingsman and Louis Louis and how difficult it was for that song, like what an anomaly it was for that song to get airplay outside of Seattle and become like one of the biggest hits ever. Um, yeah. And then you think of like, um, you know, b- bands from Seattle, that's always been sort of a complaint, right? That they can't break that market. They can't, it's hard geographically to kind of come down, which I'm sure you probably felt over the years as a musician. Um, add that to that. You've got this band who's doing, like you said, a, um, a genre of music that maybe isn't the most popular thing in the world right now, but it's and it's got this small window in which to do it. And then yeah. throw on to that that you're also not in L.A., New York, or Chicago. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah, how difficult, like speaking from your own experience as someone in Seattle, how difficult does the geography play in the in in marketing your music and getting out there? Oh, I mean, like since like the 90s, it's been it's, you know, other things happened alongside like the grunge craze or whatever mm-hmm. um, that like like Microsoft, there was the first dot com boom and then just all the tech money that's here now. So, like, I mean, I think that probably it's a terrible term, but, like, Seattle's probably considered, like, a world-class city now or whatever, mm. where, like, any international or national touring bands, like, they always stop here now, you know? And, like, prior to the 90s, that might not have necessarily been the case. Like, they might have just skipped over Seattle and headed straight to Vancouver or, mm. like, just omitted the Northwest completely. Right. Um, but, like... You know, when I was growing up, like, weirdly, like, all of that 90s stuff has kind of got what got me interested in playing music. And, um, like, that was all kind of exploding when I was, like, an early teenager. So that being from here was really exciting at that age and stuff. And, like, um, so the music scene was exploding even beyond that grunge thing or whatever, just, like, the DIY punk scene. And, like, there was tons of venues and it was a really actually really, really good time to be growing up in Seattle. There's lots of great bands. Um, and yeah, just lots of good venues to play that were all ages. And, um, so yeah, I mean, I'd say since the eighties, nineties, it's been a pretty fertile music scene, like with sub pop is here still, you know, and um, that's true enough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, KEXP, which started out as like a really indie college station, you know, like at some point got a big influx of like Paul Allen money. In I think the like late '90s, early 2000s, and was able to like establish itself as kind of like the premier college radio station in the states. Mm-hmm. So it's like New York doesn't have anything like that. LA doesn't have anything like that. So like, yeah, I mean like that that stuff that bands suffered, you know, up until the '90s, like hasn't really been a thing since then. Like, I think plenty of bands from Seattle get popular that aren't maybe necessarily identified with Seattle, but I mean I can. I don't know. I'm trying to think like that Fleet Foxes band, like they're from Seattle or like right. um, Modest Mouse, you know, or like like plenty of stuff since the grunge time that well, maybe just identified with the city or whatever. Right. Well, and again, I think we also lump Seattle in with a harder sound. And I mean, we forget yeah. the fact that you have, uh, I mean, uh, the, fried, the Fine Fresh Fellows in the 90s oh, yeah. doing a real pop yeah, sound. But I yeah. mean, when I heard this and immediately I thought of Big Star, but then, of course, I go to Big Star's members who are all in another Seattle band, the Posies. Yeah, they're who, great too. Yeah. Who were also kicking out this like huge pop 
like our, our maybe arguably the poster boy for for power pop like alongside like maybe matthew sweet um yeah. where like as someone in seattle do you see those sort of tentacles of and that's a that's a brutal word for it uh of um of the heats kind of still like throughout the music scene like like i immediately i thought is there a correlation there's got to be a correlation between the heats and the posies surely and oh. then i thought like do you see that in other bands around seattle yeah that's a good question i don't like the posies are originally from bellingham mm -hmm. which is actually closer to vancouver or like i guess right in between um but near the border and uh which is a college town if you've never been um but yeah very much identified with seattle and like the grunge era even though like you said more in common with like big star and like mm -hmm. um yeah, it seemed like in the 90s, there was a little, around the same time as kind of all that, like, grunge stuff, like, there was kind of a resurgence in popularity of, like, oh, like, like you mentioned Matthew Sweet, or, like, the Lemonheads um, would come to mind, or, like, over in, uh, like, Teenage Fan Club from yeah, Scotland, yeah, right. or, like, um, and, like, I love that stuff, too. Like, the well, 90s. Well, everything that came out of Halifax here in Canada, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, that 90s does... 70s power pop sound i think is really good too like i can't it's funny there's definitely interest in that music like there's a young dj who's on kxp who i heard play the lemonheads the other day and like i think that she's probably like in her early 20s or something so like wasn't around for it the first time like just thinks it's good music you know and like um but yeah i'm trying to think of like like i played in a band called bread and butter that was how i met the autogram folks it was kind of like less new wave and punk as autogram and more kind of like um like tom petty kind of power pop like more rock i guess or just more straightforward and like so we would get compared to the heats and stuff and like we liked them like you know we would cover their songs in our garage we never played them live but like um i i can't really think of any modern band from seattle doing that sound per se i would like it if one did <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's it, still that's still out there like that like when I picked it up I'm like oh did I put on a maritime band from like the east coast of Canada from the 90s or something like it just had that sound mm -hmm. but still sounds good and I'm gonna say like that album's timeless that whatever that whatever they did with that sound it's timeless and it still sounds fresh and good and you know like Tom kind of like was asking, but there's no one, no one. Is there anyone else you've bumped into that goes, Oh yeah, the heats that. Um. Oh, I mean like mostly older folks that remember seeing them when they were young, you know, like, um, certainly like, uh, there's a guy named Kurt block. Who's kind of like, uh, a local Seattle, like music legend, guitar guitarist. He played in the fastbacks. Mm, another um, great poppy or rock. Band, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And um, so, like, I've asked him about it, and he surely was familiar with them. Like, the Fastbacks would have been really young and playing punk venues kind of when the heat's around. They're kind of like, oh, yeah, those guys played, like, the bigger bars that, like, cover bands would play because they would get the good gigs, you know, whereas they were playing the kind of scrappy DIY punk gigs, even though, like, you know, maybe not that different in style, like, just from a different from a different younger scene or whatever. Um so like yeah i don't think that they really had much connection at all to any of the other like oh like punk type bands in seattle like it seems like they kind of got 
this management and like got got put on tour with other major label bands or whatever um so yeah maybe it was kind of like straddling those styles in a weird way you know um but you know like people like that would be probably the only ones that i can think of um that that would really still although you know like i didn't go to the reunion show but i heard it sold out so Mm. like Clearly, there's lots of people. I think maybe a lot of older folks yeah. are like reliving their <laughs> yeah, youth. That's but, right. It um, is. It is weird though. Like that. Like you talked there, that and, and I was reading about this too. This like animosity almost between like the punks of the day towards the Heat. Um, yeah. Which is funny when you counter that to say the London scene in England at the time, where the Jam were one of that right they they yeah. got kind of grouped in even like when you listen to joe jackson and you think yeah what the, how the hell was yeah. joe jackson playing with the pump with how the did he get a pass yeah how <laughs> did he get the okay or even some of elvis costello where you're yeah. like like how does and, and you listen to like the ska music of the time and people like that and you think man they were it was almost like the punk scene in, in London at the time was way more accepting of the of the pop sound than than a lot of other places were, where it was almost seen as a, you know, us against them attitude, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it certainly appears that way. I feel like people that were probably there might say that it was similar mm. as far as like, like I've certainly read stuff where it was like the Sex Pistols being like the jam, like they wear uh, suits, like they're mods, like that's, yeah. like they're a throwback act or something or like, but yeah, I, I definitely like definitely seems like there was room for more like difference in style. And like, I think a lot of that maybe is because like a lot of the stuff in England that maybe is called like power pop, like is also kind of like pub rock, but mm-hmm. like that kind of preceded punk rock, you know, Dr. Feelgood or like, like, um, oh, Nick Lowe or like, yeah. um, and in his various bands. And, um, so that like maybe punk punk kind of absorbed a little more of that and was perhaps maybe more accepting of that style because it was kind of already in the mix maybe do you still yeah. get do you still listen to this album and go fuck yeah that's this is what i want to get to or this sound. oh totally yeah. yeah absolutely yeah i love the recording like i love the production like um you can tell they really knew what they wanted and what they were going for and were really well rehearsed and great harmony vocals and it's funny you say that mm, mention the yeah. harmonies because I, I was i watched a documentary of the band and robbie robertson and they talked about how they wanted to harmonize but accentuate the difference of their voices mm. <laughs> and and when i heard this album like that's exactly what they're doing they're not hiding the fact that we're not crosby stills and nash but yeah. when when we work at it and we've got these three different or three or four different voices, man, it sounds fantastic. It and, really does. Yeah. So I just thought I just when you mentioned harmonies, I'm like, yeah, the harmonies were fantastic on that. Yeah, it's something you don't see a lot of bands doing so much these days. Well, it's all auto-tuned or fixed or whatever, right? You don't know if it's authentic. Yeah, sure. Just it doesn't seem to really be part of rock music very yeah. much anymore. Mm. Yeah. Whereas, whereas when you were just talking there with the Lemonheads and Teenage Fan Club and Matthew Sweet and the Bozies, that was a thing in the '90s, right? It was the you either had the harmonies or you didn't have the harmonies, and I think harmonies really defined if you were part of that power pop scene or if you were more towards that the harder edge thing, right? I mean, the po- For sure. I mean, the, the the harmonies uh, of so many of the '90s bands were just amazing, and I think you're quite right. It's been 
yeah, it's been sort of sadly missed, I think, in a lot of modern rock music. Yeah, I agree. And, and yeah, it'd be gosh, I'm just thinking like why like why? <laughs> like why why haven't people embra- embraced it? Maybe Yeah, I don't uh, know. It's not good. <laughs> yeah, it's not good at all. And you guys certainly when I'm listening to the autogram, uh the last record and the two two, two new singles off this record, you guys are trying to embrace that sound and bring it back by the sounds of it on, on what you guys are doing. Is that is was that a conscious decision as much as to bring the synths and that 80s sound into it? Oh, for sure. I mean, Josh does a lot of the recording and is really into it and arranging and like, is yeah, he's really good at that. Um, and yeah, I love that. It's really fun to do. Um, it makes everything sound better. Like three different or four different voices, like forming a chord is awesome. You know, like um, it's kind of the coolest instrument there is. And, vocals are kind of like what people listen to the most so it's like why not make them sound really nice and sweet and good together it's nice to see like at the end of the day every band no matter what they're doing they want to get better they want to sound better and not all not all of them <laughs> well yeah depending on who sure uh you just threw my whole comment out the door but <laughs> it's but yeah, it, it's a lot of it is they work on it, and, and again, back to Tom's point about how there is some an, there was some animosity towards from punks towards bands like oh you're you're selling out you're all polished now, like the Heat just had that, and you could tell they were working on it, and you're you're almost wishing man what would they have sound like three four albums later what would they have been doing? Mm. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I'm sure they probably would have liked to record and release more records. Well, it would have been interesting to see the that the way that '80s progression of music went, where where that would have taken someone. Whereas, uh, you know, Tom Petty slid away a little bit into that. I'm not gonna say southern rock, but certainly embraced that guitar playing a little bit more, right? And For then sure, yeah. the Cars went more to a slick. Uh, a slicker style of pop, right? So, you know, it would have been interesting to see where they where they took things to. Um, I, I was listening today to um, uh, to your tracks, your two latest tracks, uh, as opposed to just the, the album to kind of get ready for this new release that's coming out from you guys on November 17th. And that that punk layer that you said is there and you know i'm sticking in something like plastic punks uh and want to be and there seems to be almost like you were just talking there when when we talked about bands trying to sound better and you said well not all of them is there there almost is a bit of um and i mean this in a good way so don't take it a bad way but a bit of a chip on the shoulder of like calling out sort of modern pop the modern pop world is that is that <laughs> is that a conscious decision on you guys? Is that what you're you're is that maybe a bit of the message you're trying to get across? Oh yeah. Um yeah, that's Jeff's song. So yeah, again, he could probably speak to the his intent behind the lyrics better than me. But I guess uh yeah, I don't know. I kind of took it as like um yeah, maybe just kind of not understanding, like like you were just kind of saying like yeah, why don't bands like sing in harmony anymore? That was really good. I'm like, I don't know. Bands don't like the Beatles anymore. Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> well, they were you know, overrated. Come yes. on, let's... Yeah, or, like, or just like they're not trying to do that so much or whatever. Like, what they're emulating is a different influence or something. And 
Um, yeah, I think like, I think it's more meta and humor though, rather than any kind of like serious commentary on like, um, the state of modern pop music. I mean, I think like we're probably not all that very aware of like what mainstream <laughs> pop music is anyway. So you're not calling us all wannabes. You're just, that's not a, a caller to all of us. <laughs> no, I think that song is, is, is meant to be like, uh, uh, an invitation to be whomever you would want to be rather than like, uh, calling somebody out as a poser or something like that. Well, I did notice that in the last album too, there is a, there's a, a lot of positive messages you guys have in the music where you're really trying to put forth that, Hey, you know what? You're, uh, you're going to have a bad day. You're going to have things that go wrong and you've just got to kind of em- embrace that and, and, and kind of, you know, things are going to happen. And, you know, there seems to be, I noticed that these like nice little positive messages too in the songs is that I thought was really, really cool to hear. Yeah. I, before I was in the band, I really appreciated that too. And, yeah. but not done in like a cloying way. Where yeah. it's, I think kind of like, you know, like everybody has like anxiety and depression and stuff and acknowledging that in lyrics and like, um, but yeah, it's, you're right. It does have like, and I typically don't resonate with those types of messages typically to me it doesn't ring true but yeah I, I agree with you i think it's those lyrics are well done well especially when you're literally spelling out the word anxiety to people to... <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> um okay hardest question for you favorite song on the, the heat's record oh man that's tough yeah like one thing I, I really like about that record is like unlike a lot of power pot or like now we should say a lot of it but you know much of it it's like it's more about 45s and singles and you know the album might have a bunch of covers on it or like but like every song's really good on that record um i think like ordinary girls maybe i really like for the melody and just like catchiness and poppiness of it the the single off the record if you didn't read about that is i don't like your face mm-hmm. huh. that's yeah. what they put the 45 out of and follow-up question, what song are you most excited about people hearing on the new Autogram album? Oh, I think probably the lead single, which will come out, I think, alongside the record this next week. Uh, it's called Born Losers. Awesome. Why? Why? What makes this one the one the, the one to hear? Oh, I mean, I think it's like, you know, when we recorded the songs, like, pretty quickly, like, once you start getting things recorded, like, and I mean, at least in most bands I've been in, I guess in some, like we've had arguments about it, but we're like kind of immediately, everybody's like, yeah, that's the best song. Like mm. everybody just kind of knows. And like, it's like, yeah, that's going to be the single. Like it's kind of obvious. And, um, you know, sometimes it's a surprise. Sometimes it's one you wouldn't have thought that, that was going to happen. But once you record it, it like turns out way better than you thought. Or, um, but that one seemed like from the get go pretty quickly. Like once we were recording it, it was like, oh yeah, this was, like poppiest kind of most like easily relatable song wonderful nice um thanks for joining us Lars. really appreciated it and hey, thanks, th- so yeah, thanks and, for having me and thanks for introducing us to this awesome album and you know serendipitously to five other people who are now listening to the heats because of me texting them after hearing it from you so this I is look really happy. I, yeah. yeah yeah this is why I we get, do this it's, yeah it's, because, it's for this like i love hearing people's taste in music and but when it's an album you're like i never heard of this and it's awesome it turns out yeah. awesome that's awesome that's what we're that's why yeah. we're doing it 
same here. That's so great. Uh, like having I worked in record stores for like decades now. I don't anymore, but like that was same exact thing. Like where it's just like being able to share stuff that I liked or that other people did, or like they teach me new stuff I don't know about, you know. And then like like you said, nice. No, send it to five of my other friends. Like that's awesome. Like, um, that's that's like the funnest thing about music and and sharing it. I think. It is. I've had this conversation recently with people who say, I don't really get why you're like such a big music fan or like, why do you go see these bands or, or whatever? And one of the things I would say is like that to me is the most beautiful thing about music is the is the hearing something and knowing someone else is going to listen to it, too, and just go, oh, wow. And having those moments of pure joy when you hear something for the first time, too. Right. Like I can. Yeah, a hundred times in my life where I heard a song the first time and just went, yeah, that's that moment, right? And those those moments of pure, unadulterated joy is what music brings us, right? I, I absolutely agree. Yeah. Very, very well put. Appreciate it. Uh, and hopefully we're going to see you on the road soon. Yeah, I hope so, too. Yeah, pleasure talking to you guys. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for your time. Awesome. All right. Take care, guys. Cheers. Thanks.
All right. You know what band we haven't talked uh, talked about here in this, and we haven't dropped their name yet, and I think they sit in this encapsulation at this same period of time too is the knack. There's a real kind of sense here uh, of also like yeah. kind of having to feel like the knack, eh? As a uh, uh, that again, it just makes me wonder were they were these little power pop bands everywhere? Like, you know, did Seattle have one? Did L.A. have one? Did all these towns have, like, a power pop band that just people were like, eh, these guys are all good. Well, it's funny. It's a shame they're out of step with everyone else. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But I really like that My Sharona one. (laughs) Yeah, like, like, it just seems odd, right? You know, and, and like, I couldn't tell you another Knack song. Oh, uh, I... Get the next. A good album. It's a good album. I, uh, yeah. So great title. Anyhow. I do. Lo- I love. I love that album title. Yeah. Get the knack. But well, the, it's, I mean, it's never made me want to pick up and listen to the whole thing. <laughs> but again, I mean, you you talk about this album, and this it's a great. I think it's a great title for an album as well. Have I an mean, idea. I yeah the the heats. The heats have, have an, idea. an idea. I love it. I think it's a great name for a title. Yeah. Uh, for an album. Um, now. I'm sure. Well, you know what I thought of this album because when within 30 <laughs> seconds of the opening track, I wrote to you saying, "Oh my dear God, I found like this is this is my this is my happy place. This is this is what it's all about to me." Yeah. More on the four four time. We got some jangly guitars. Sure, we got some sure. harmonies and melodies. Oh yeah. We have we have what 12 songs about falling in love and falling out of love. <laughs> That's oh, right. this is this is my sweet spot, man. Uh, so. For me, uh, this this was just oh this this was a joy to listen to from start to end uh, because it was really everything uh, that has really made up my listening in the mid nineties. Mm. Oh, I went yeah. from being I went from being a big rock fan to a big pop fan, and this is what I loved hearing. So listening to it was like. <sighs> You know, it was like the uh, the birth story of your favorite superhero. You know, uh, like, or it's oh, called or it's right. called origin yeah. story. Yes, no. the origin story. Sorry, the origin story of your favorite superhero. Like listening and thinking, oh man, this is where all those sounds start to come from. Right? Mm. Like, and again, that's the beauty of listening to something like, you know, like a big star, right? Where you hear that and and go, yeah, that that's that's where these sounds started to come from. And for me, it was just this joyous thing. You know, much like Big Star, and I think it gets about to this in the documentary, and I have to just stop talking about them in here, but this idea that here's a band, The Heats, making music out of Seattle, making really good music, and everyone likes them, and that brings a pile of joy. Like, you're listening to it going, wow, this is really joyful poppy songs, and then you're like, and then nothing came of it. They're just, and that's the sad part of the story, right? It's just, so it has this beautiful uh, side and this terrible side to it, where you're like, "Man, here was a band that was just really damn good, just on the, the world, and just, had this wasn't ready there. Had advantages too, right? Yeah, like for sure. The link with Hearts, touring with them, you know, solid sounding, solid production, good performances, good songwriting. Like good how songwriting. it's just. They just didn't make the right connections at rate. You know, radio was everything at the time. Mm-hmm. You could tour all you want, but if if really like very few bands could get a, could get away with no radio play, right? Yeah, especially well, when you also, wanted to break. And we've also talked about 1990 and all the 
and how you know there was all of this sound coming out. If you look, even look back in 1980, though, it was similar, right? Mm-hmm. You had yep. country songs that were making the charts. You had you know punkish songs. You had kind of new wave songs. You had disco. You had uh, all of these emerging sounds. You had reggae. Uh, all of these emerging sounds, kind of soul, R and B, happening at the time, and probably record companies going, uh, uh, "What? Which which one's going to stick?" And that, to me, is a probably something that also, you know, faltered the heats too, because where were they in this mash of noise that was coming out, probably in around 1980 as well? Yeah, I think people. I probably they probably leaned on the dated sound. You're like, ugh, you kind of sound like the Stones from like five years ago. Right? Yeah, or the Kinks, Beatles, the, or, yeah. the, or the or the Kinks. Kinks. Yeah, the Kinks, Kinks would probably be the closest one. And they who, and they did play with the Kinks. Yeah, and whose yeah. whose career really like they couldn't play in America, right? Right. Uh, so they were putting out these weird, almost Americana albums. Yeah, uh, and so. Yeah, they might have got linked in with that, but it's funny you like you were through our first part. You were ramming off music like the Knack, Joe Jackson, and stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah, and I'm like, oh, the monks, maybe, maybe. the monks, as yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Maybe this sound was prevalent, and it just maybe they got also could be lumped in like those these bands were other than Joe Jackson or or Elvis Costello, like the Knack's a one hit wonder, right? And Joe Jackson had a career, but it was kind of low key in the States, more London, more European type thing. I think he was, uh, did well in Canada, but, uh, you know, no one really, it's, it's weird. No one really calls out Joe Jackson as like ready for the rock hall of fame, but, and I think, yeah. So the, the heats, I think maybe just got lumped in with the one hit wonders and people were like, eh, Nah, mm-hmm. but I think it was ahead of its time. Yeah, by like fifteen it, years. Well, even listening to, I mean, some of the intro. I mean, you you talked about Joe Jackson, and, and I mean, I talked about Elvis Costello earlier. I mean, you listen to the start of something like "Sorry Girls," track three on the record. Um, mm. Dave, do me a favor and just play track four, the start of track four, just the first 10, 15 seconds. Sure. I got a girl on the other side of town. Elvis Costello, right? I mean, there. I mean, that's that's the beauty of this for me is you have this band, just these suburban kids, you know, in in Seattle, you know, west coast of America at the time. They might as well have been in Antarctica, and here they are up here in Seattle, hearing the hearing the sounds coming from like Elvis Costello, Joe Jackson, whoever in London, and going, yeah. You know, it's almost like the counter to the 1960s and all the, you know, the Stones and the Animals and them all hearing the the American blues. Here, these guys are hearing 
this kind of new wave-ish pop coming from London and kind of going, hey, you know, like I, I could sense there was probably something there. And there's numerous songs on this record where I really hear that coming through. And I think it's just so cool to think of these young guys hearing that and saying, this is the sound, guys. It's not what everyone else is doing. And I like when a band swerves left when everyone else is going right. Well, you could really only do what you feel comfortable doing, right? Like yeah. anything else, and it's not, it doesn't feel authentic and it feels like you're chasing. And yeah. in this case, like, it's, you almost wish, like, oh, God, could you have just tried a, two or three more albums? See what would have happened. Who knows, right? It's the 80s. You, you were still given a bit of time. Two or two, maybe three albums to find your sound, find your fan base. Could they have done that? But they they kind of packed it in a year or two after this. It was like '83 or something. Um, a live album was all that we really got from them after that. And yeah, it was '83. Yeah. Yeah. So you just wonder, like, could you? And then you, it's just interesting, like someone dug this up and it's made a an impact on them yeah it's and and to me that's the interesting thing even about the the east coast of the 1990s with with halifax right how many of those bands have i think in the last you know 10 or 15 years you know people are starting to discover again right people are starting oh, to sure. say wow wow plum tree who was that or the yeah. monoxides right yeah. all these bands who weren't the you know, the, the torchbearers of that era, but who were really making, you know, really cool, fun music at that point in time, right? Um, and that's that's really neat to see um, that, that kind of reemergence again. And it just shows that that power of music to continuously, you know, find, it, find its audience when, like you said, it's authentic and real, yeah. right? And maybe that was it. Maybe it was too fun. The 80s. Yeah. Like maybe yeah. This, we were taking things serious. Well, and again, we've talked about before the '80s production, right? Yep. And you know, and and this didn't have it. It has a such an interesting production style uh, that, yeah, I just, yeah, I thought this was just a joy of a record to listen to, just a joy. Um, so, what was your favorite song on it? You know what? It was a hard one for me to pick a favorite, to be perfectly honest. Uh, when your mind, I thought, was terrific. Um, yeah, there was a lot of songs. I don't like your faith. So that was great. <laughs> um, but I think I might have to go with Nights With You. I think just from that very start, the drums at the very start, mm. I love the chunky guitar that kind of just drives the rest of the song. Kind of like a, uh, you know, that harkens me back to like early 60s rock and roll. Um, like even just pre-Beatles. Um, That's where they're being influenced by that 1950s sound or even a little bit of like, um, like Buddy Holly, uh, late Buddy Holly. It has like a nice dick, 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 uh, that I really like. That again, I, it brings me right back to, to Seattle and, uh, or sorry, to, to, to the East Coast of Canada in the 90s. So yep. yeah, those were all really, really great tracks. So, uh, but yeah, Nights With You, I think probably has to stand out just maybe a little, just a hair above everything else. How about you? Uh, I'm going to say, well, it was a toss up between Have an Idea, like you say, great intro, great opening track, uh, kind of stuck with me, but Call Yourself a Man, I just dug their little, the, the slight harmonies in the chorus, and it's just, uh, 
just a chunk, like a chunky along kind of groove. Yeah. Well, and, and the, like the mid- intro to that, that intro line, that intro guitar part mm-hmm. for Call Me a Man, where yeah. it's like that kind of reminds me of like something Hart would do. That, sure. There's like this this wheezy wow, like yeah. a, like that guitar part at the start is is really cool. Yeah. And that's the other thing. There's like some unassuming but really cool guitar parts in this. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Like you say, nights with you. Some other guy uh, has a nice uh, nice tone and nice riffs to it. But uh, yeah, the one that keep just kind of stuck with me that if you know when we realized we hadn't done this part yet and i'm like ooh which which album was that again call yourself man was like the first one that popped into my head yeah and uh i had to re-listen to the album again and but yes for some reason that that sick little flow that sick little groove in that song just just stuck with me and maybe because it's familiar to us now at you know, yeah. at a later age and we've kind of heard the resurgence of this in the 90s and, and in the uh aughts too right mm-hmm. like this came sure. this all came back and and now these bands these in the times of discovering old music just people just keep looking for music this is what comes out and it's coming back oh yeah for sure it is for sure the simplicity of a pop song is always going to be there right uh it's always going to find its place back in the zeitgeist of music right especially as music progresses and gets louder and bigger and you know whatever just a perfectly crafted pop jam will always just slide into that top 40 occasionally and you'll be like wow you know there it is right and again i think you know the even think about how many people go back and just rediscover the beatles years later right i mean that's that's what pop music does and that's the beauty of it
So thanks to Wadi for letting us use his song In My Heart as our theme song. And thanks to Lars from Autogram for joining us this week to talk. And remember, pick up their newest album, which is out now. And most importantly, thanks to you for listening to The Sound Effect. If you enjoyed today's show, please share it on social media and let us know what you think of the show. And uh, remember, there's always a great record out there just waiting to be discovered. So keep listening.